This is the Budget Minded Traveler podcast, episode 13. Welcome to the Budget Minded Traveler podcast, your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part, it won't break your bank. And now, the Budget Minded Traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Budget Minded Traveler podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And um, thank you to all of you who have been listening and especially those of you who have connected with me either on Facebook or via my blog to ask me your travel questions because this episode is about you. This is the first installment of the Ask Jackie sessions in which I will answer listener questions that I feel are relevant enough to answer to my entire audience rather than just one person. Um, Some of the questions that I've gotten are so great that I will actually be creating entire podcast episodes about them specifically. Um, And then others of the questions are more of a quick answer style. And those are the ones that we're going to be getting into in these Ask Jackie sessions. So let's go ahead and just get into these questions. Um, And by the way, if you have a question that you would like answered on the podcast, feel free to contact me through my blog. Um, I will get back to you. And if your question is suitable for the entire audience, I would love to talk about it in the next Ask Jackie session and you'll get a shout out with that. So on that note, here we go. The first question is from Michelle and Michelle asks, what kind of what kinds of gifts do you bring to hosts you stay with for free? Do you need to give to Airbnb hosts? Are gifts expected? How does that work? So that is, those are some great questions, Michelle. So um, for starters, some of you may be wondering how you would set yourself up with a free place to stay in the first place. And this could simply be um, an arrangement staying with friends of yours overseas or friends of friends or perhaps couch surfing, which is a program in which you stay on people's couches for free. And if you want to know about that, um, you can check out couch surfing online, couchsurfing.org, or I actually did a post about it at the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash couch surfing. And Michelle specifically mentioned Airbnb also. And if you haven't heard of Airbnb before, um, definitely check it out. It's it's sort of a step up from couch surfing where you actually pay to stay at people's houses, um, whether they are there or not. But you can find more info about that at Airbnb.com. Um, okay, so the question of gifts. There definitely is an etiquette around this. And that's why I thought it was important to talk about on the podcast. Um, I think you can probably guess it without my saying it. But basically, it comes down to um, the fact that someone's doing you a favor and the fact and, and the fact that you have respect for that and appreciation. So if you get to stay with someone for free, whether you know them yourself or through a friend or through couch surfing, I would say that yes, some sort of gift is a great way to show your appreciation. And it doesn't have to be expensive at all. Um, usually these things are not monetary. You know, there's no money exchange in, in couch surfing or staying with someone for free. So this is more of a gesture of appreciation. So one thing that I like to do is just simply observe what my host likes while I'm staying with them and then possibly get them a little something along those lines. Um, For example, one time we were couch surfing in Italy and based on a conversation we had, 
um, I knew that my host really liked to read and we had discussed a couple of books and one of them she hadn't read yet. And so we bought it for her in Italian and left it um, at her place when we left just as a little thank you. Um, we've had people stay with us who have cooked meals for us or left cards even or little gifts um, or a bottle of wine or six pack of beer. Basically, the bottom line is that a little gesture of thanks goes a long way. And I would say that it's the least you can do for someone who is opening up their house to you and letting you stay for free. After all, you are saving money by not paying for a hotel or hostel. So even buying them a drink or a coffee out is is better than nothing. It should easily be part of your budget. And so that goes for anywhere that you stay for free. And ultimately, it is up to you because, of course, gifts are not expected. That's not really what it's about. Um, but I would say that the proper etiquette that is understood by most most travelers is that Something, just anything in the form of a thank you is really greatly appreciated by the host. Um, and you may have noticed that I did not say that you have to bring anything from home. No way. Forget about bringing something from home unless there's like something really specific from your region or whatever that you want to give to someone. But I would say don't waste space in your luggage packing things like this. Just Feel it out once you get to your accommodations, once you get to know your host a little bit, because these little gifts can come in many, many forms, even just doing the dishes, you know, after after you guys have dinner together or something. So um, and as for Airbnb, no, you do not need to give anything because you're already paying to stay there. Airbnb just doesn't work the same way. You can consider it more similar to staying at a hotel. So if you if you feel like leaving the staff a tip, I'm sure it's appreciated. But um, you know, just like that, you can you can kind of view Airbnb the same way. Since you're paying for your stay, it's completely unnecessary to get them a gift. I mean, sometimes Airbnb hosts will go above and beyond to like show you around or um, or you know make sure that you're you're taken care of. And and that's really great. And if you want to show your appreciation for that, that's fine, but you are paying for it. So there's nothing expected there. So I hope that that answers that question and clears up any confusion around getting gifts for your host. So thank you, Michelle, for that question. All right. Next up is from Claudine and she asks, are there any tips for youngsters like me who want to travel, but are but have very limited resources. And I'm talking about money. I'm 20 years old. Last time I checked my university study abroad program, um, the cost for a quarter program was around 9,000 and the summer program was around 5,000. Okay. So Claudine, thank you for your question. I'm sure you're not the only one wondering this. And yes, there are resources out there for you, especially as a college student. And I think, you know, one of the resources I'm referring to scholarships, they do exist. They helped put me through college because believe me, I was once a 20 year old college student wondering how I was going to afford another year abroad as well. And guess what? I researched, I sought out the scholarships that everyone said were out there. And I landed one that helped me immensely during my next year abroad in Italy, actually. Um, and here's the thing about scholarships. They don't jump out at you. You really need to put in the time to search and apply for them. 
but you never know when you might get lucky. And keep in mind that there are different criteria for scholarships. So you might be eligible for certain ones just because of your gender, your ethnicity, or even where you are from or where you are going overseas. That's actually how I got my scholarship for Italy. It was through the National Italian American Foundation that awards scholarships to Italian students studying in the U.S., as well as American students studying in Italy. And they are a great organization. Definitely check them out if you're planning to go to Italy. Um, So that scholarship was super specific, but I got it. And I didn't expect to get any scholarships, but I knew I had nothing to lose. And there's a good point there. Don't expect people to just give you money. You have to prove that you're worth it by finding the scholarships and applying for them. And besides scholarships, remember you may not be limited to just your school program. Many schools don't even have a study abroad program, which then forces their students to look elsewhere. And this is completely normal. The program that I went with um, for my two years abroad allowed students from any school to apply. Um, And it was one of the cheapest programs that I'd seen at the time. And that was USAC. That's a that's an acronym. University Studies Abroad Consortium It was actually headquartered through my university. Um, But that didn't matter. Anyone who was outside of that university who wanted to participate in that program, you would essentially become a student of that university while you were abroad. And so like all your credits would transfer as a like through an American college, you know, et cetera. So um, what I'm saying here is just don't look at one price and give up. Look at that first price and then start doing your research and compare it with other programs because chances are there will be one out there somewhere that you can afford, even if you have to get a scholarship like like I did. Um, and I really could go on about this this one. I'm actually planning on doing an episode just about study abroad um, that gets into much more than just the finances, but I will cover more in that. Um, But basically, I would encourage you not to give up. If you want to study abroad, you really deserve to go. And so I urge you to work, save, research scholarships and other study abroad programs until you figure out a way to make it happen. And remember, studying abroad is not your only option. It's a great way to go um, with a structured program, you know, if you haven't been before, it's really, really unmatched. But there are other ways to travel cheaply um, using programs like couchsurfing that I just talked about, where you actually stay at people's houses for free while you're traveling. And Workaway, which I talked about in episode number five, um, which is, you, you know, volunteer in exchange for room and board abroad. So, like, both of those programs um, are offer, offer great cheap ways to travel. And you can find more about both of those on my blog. Um, it's just that sometimes, sometimes when it's your first time abroad, it helps to have a structured program to ease you into it. And that's why study abroad would be beneficial for you. And there's actually another option here. Um, look into, into language schools that offer programs by the week, because literally you can enroll in programs for weeks at a time. If you don't want to go abroad for an entire semester or year. And if that interests you, just Google it. Just Google language schools in wherever. And you will see what I'm talking about. Um, They'll start popping up and you'll, you'll notice that these programs are by the week. And you can, I mean, sometimes when you're a beginner, you have to start on a certain week, you know, when, when they allow other beginners to start. But Um, usually if you're more advanced in a language, then you can start any week of the year, um, 
That's actually what I did when I went to Brazil. I found a program in a town that I thought sounded good and I signed up and I actually went for four weeks and I learned Portuguese in that time. Um, it was definitely harder. It was different. It was harder to make friends um, because people were coming and going in the school, but it was still an amazing resource and a great opportunity to get to Brazil and learn Portuguese. So keep those in mind. I think mine, if I remember correctly, it cost me $1,400 for one month of room and board and school. So I had my, I think maybe they only covered breakfast at my um, homestay, but I mean, I stayed with a girl who was 30. She was, I mean, she was technically my host mom, but no, I mean, she was like a sister and we became really great friends. And it's just one more awesome way to get abroad with some sort of help, you know, structured to a place maybe that you haven't been before and just, you know, get to do it cheaply. Because I think that $1,400 for one month in Brazil was, was pretty great for all that I got out of that, including learning Portuguese. So you can use that as a resource to learn language and get abroad. All right. Enough about that. We can move on to the next one. And uh, this one is from Pete. Pete says, should I buy two adapters for myself? Should I buy a voltage converter? Um, and I know that Pete was heading to Scotland. So um, what I told Pete was, first of all, no, you don't need more. You really don't need more than one adapter. And the adapter is, you know, what you what you plug in plug your appliance into and then you plug it into the wall because adapters all around the world are, I mean, plugs all around the world, the outlets are um, really different. And so generally you can just buy one adapter that has all these different types of countries in it, you know, so that it, it works for whatever type of plug you have. Um, and what I told Pete was he was only planning on going, I think for two weeks, I, ch I chatted with him a little bit about it. And um, so in two weeks time, you shouldn't need more than one. I mean, unless you plan on charging all of your things at once, you know, you really shouldn't need more than one adapter per per purse. I mean, we only have one, Nate and I, and we, you know, we have one between the two of us. When my brother Daryl travels with us, we still only bring one and we just share it. You know, we just make it work. Um, I think their adapters are about 20 bucks, so they're not really expensive. You can always have another one and they're small, you know, whatever. But I, I would say you do not need two um, just space your charging out so that you can, you know, share the one with all of your electronics. And then the question about, should I buy a voltage converter? And this is a great question. Um, and by the way, you guys, if you, I actually did a, a blog post about this, the, I'll put the link to it on the show notes page. Um, but if you go on to my blog and just search outlets, you'll find it. Um, so it's, it's really laid out really well in that post if you want more notes on this. But so the reason you would need a voltage converter is because the voltage amounts are different across the world. You know, so like in the US, our outlets are 110 volts. And in the in Europe, they're 220. Um, in most of Latin America, they're actually 110 or similar to ours. And so, and even the outlets are shaped similarly throughout Latin America. And so you wouldn't necessarily even need, um, an adapter or a voltage converter. But since Pete was going to Scotland, um, this was my advice to him is that, okay, you don't need, I asked him what he was bringing and he mentioned he had it, basically a string of eye products. There was an iPhone, an iPad, you know. And so if you have Apple products, um, you can 
you do not need a voltage converter because if you look at the little white box that plugs into the wall for your iPhone charger um, or your laptop plug, you know, like there's a white box for all the Apple products. Um, And if you look at the small print on it, it'll say that it can go from, you know, 110 up to 220 volts. And so if you fall in that, like Europe does, um, then you don't need a voltage converter because it's safe to plug it in at that voltage. So definitely check your electronics to see if they do that. Another example of something that does that is your, your camera battery charger. So I use Canons, um, but I assume that most camera battery chargers will do the same thing. But um, it's, it's that big box that your battery kind of just hooks onto and plugs into the wall. So look at the box, look at the back of it, read the fine print, and it should say that it goes from 110 to 220. So as long as you're covered, um, you may want to check out my blog post just to see. I have a link on there to like all the outlets in the world so you can see where you're going, what kind of outlet they use, what kind of voltage, all that stuff so that you will know before you go um, what kind of voltage you're looking at and whether your things will be safe. And the thing that happens the most is, I mean, these little things like a battery charger for your camera, um, for your phone, your laptop, these things are safe with their built-in converters, or yeah, converters. Um, What normally gets people are the things that really surge in electricity. For example, a hairdryer. Um, If you bring a hairdryer over to Europe and you try to use it without a voltage converter, even if you do have a voltage converter, um, I am not convinced that it's going to work every time. But those things that use lots of surges of electricity, they might just fry as soon as you turn it on. Um, I've heard of so many times people losing their hair dryers to outlets um, because of voltage. And same thing goes for men. Your electric razors will do the same exact thing. So hair dryers and razors, those are the big things to watch out for that you're bringing overseas with you. Um, otherwise your Mac products, your camera chargers, those should all be covered. If it makes you feel better, go ahead and get a voltage converter. Um, you can get them. I think I have links to them on my post as well. And I I think they might run you about 20 bucks as well. And you could probably get a combined one for, you know, a little bit more like an adapter converter for maybe 40 bucks or something. I'm not really sure, but, um, I actually do not own a voltage converter. So if that helps, I have never owned one. Um, I want to say I have lost at least one hairdryer, like when I learned my lesson, (laughs) but, um, I actually, when I lived in Europe, I bought a hairdryer over there and it was like a travel hairdryer and it folded, you know? And so I would just use that cause it just worked perfectly in, in Europe, obviously, since I bought it there. And, um, I know that Nate has lost, <laughs> I think a razor when we were in Europe, but, um, however you want to do it, I would just recommend skipping those, the hairdryer and razor when you're dealing with voltage differences, cause you never know what might happen. Um, so read the fine print, decide for yourself, but I personally do not own a voltage converter. Um, I don't think it's necessary as long as you do it right. So check out that blog post for more notes on that. I'll put it on the, on the show notes and I'll have the show notes at the slash 13 for, for this episode. All right. That was long winded. I'm sorry. Um, let's move on. The next question is from Megan. Are there any programs similar to Workaway that are designed for families? 
And I loved this question from Megan because it actually came right after I did my episode on Workaway. And I failed to mention in that episode that many Workaway families, many Workaway hosts, I should say, are family friendly. And so you don't have to look outside of Workaway um, to make that happen for your family. A lot of a lot of Workaway hosts are families themselves. And so if you're traveling with your children, you can still use Workaway. I would definitely recommend that you get on there, check it out. Um, there's Workaway. There's also helpx.org, I think it is, or helpx.net. Um, I'll put the, the right link on the, on the show notes. Um, and then, of course, there's Woofing, which is the organic farming one. And I'm not sure that might not be so family friendly if they're if they're just doing farming. I don't know because I don't have experience with woofing, but I'll put those links on there because definitely it, it varies by host. It doesn't it's it's not a program rule that you can't accept families. And so if you are traveling with your family, just when you're on, when you're looking at work away, um, just search for work away hosts that will accept families. And I mean, they'll put you up and um, a lot of them have kids themselves. And so definitely look into that. Do not count yourself out just because you are traveling as a family. And the same thing goes for couch surfing. Um, you have each couch surfing host can, you know, is allowed to say what their preferences are, whether they want to host children or not. For example, our place, like we, we are couch surfing hosts right now because we're not traveling. So we, we're hosting people and our place is so small and we have a big dog. So we do not accept children on our house or on our couch surfing profile. And you can read that as soon as you see who we are, you know? Um, so as you are, if you're couch surfing and looking for places to stay for free, just look at that part of their profile to see whether they accept children or not, because, um, their everyone's preferences are going to change. So these, these resources are definitely available for you families as well. Um, it's just, you might have to look a little harder for those people who accept children, whether it's work away or couch surfing or whatever it is. So, um, don't count yourself out just cause you're traveling with your family. So good question from Megan on that one. All right. So moving on to the next question, this one is from another Michelle. Does the same rule of booking on Tuesdays apply to budget airlines? Is it normal for the price to be so high, so close to the departure date? And this is a good question because no, actually budget airlines, the way that they, the way that most of them work, at least in my experience, is that the farther in advance you book, the cheaper it's going to be. So for example, one time I booked a flight, um, when I was living in Italy, I knew what I was going to be doing over Christmas. And so I booked my flights in advance for that. And I literally got a 99 cent flight on Ryanair. I think it was, um, from Frankfurt, Germany back to Italy because it was so far in advance that I bought it. I don't know, at least a couple of months, I should say, which maybe that's not super far, but that might be all it takes in some cases. Um, so that flight, all I paid were the taxes on it, which were 14 euros. So I paid 1499 to get from Germany to Italy, which is amazing. And that same flight last minute could have cost me a hundred, 150 euros. So, um, the bottom line with the budget airlines like Ryanair or EasyJet, I'm not sure about the ones in the States. I would imagine that flights like, or uh, airlines like JetBlue, the airlines that are cheaper, Allegiant, I know does it. Um, the farther in advance you book, the cheaper it's going to be. And you can go ahead and try checking on a, on a Tuesday compared to a Saturday. I don't think there's going to be any difference. 
um, for those. I think that they're more just like set prices and they'll just go up as the date gets closer. So yes, it's normal for the price to be super high, close to the departure date. There's no way around that when you use these budget airlines. Um, That's the way that they get you. So if you know, uh, basically, as soon as you know when you're going to need one, buy it because they're only going to go up. Um, That's one advantage to planning flights, at least in advance. Okay, and I want to get one more in here. Um, This one is going to be from Amy, we love to try new foods in the places where we travel. Unfortunately, we find that this always takes up a huge portion of our budget. Any tips on eating the local cuisine on a smaller budget? And absolutely, because I do not have a big budget and I have a huge appetite. I love, love, love food. And the, you know, food in other countries is one of my favorite aspects of travel. And so, Definitely. Um, one of the things I would say is don't be afraid of street food. Street food is the best. It's, it's usually really cheap. It's usually delicious. If you want to take along some enzymes or something to make you feel better about eating it, then, you know, have an enzyme before maybe it'll help with your digestion. But, um, I would say don't be afraid of street food. Try it. Um, because that's usually the cheapest, best local food you're going to find. The other thing I would say is avoid the, what I call the tourist trap restaurants. And you can tell these restaurants because they're going to be in really prominent locations where there's going to be a lot of tourists. Um, they might even have people out there holding menus, trying to get you to come inside. Um, and their prices are going to be similar to what you'd pay in the United States for food. And that is just not my idea of, of eating on a budget. And so what I would say is just go right past those restaurants. Look, I mean, take a look inside too. Do you see tourists or do you see locals? Because that's going to tell you right off the bat, whether it's going to be, you know, a local place or a tourist place. And if all you see are tourists, then you should just keep right on going. Um, generally the farther you get away from those main streets like that, the cheaper and better food you're going to find. And so take a walk, go, um, go deeper into the neighborhood. Um, go, you know, away from the oceanfront, if that's, if that's where you are or away from the main attractions, you know, and, and start exploring the, you know, further back the neighborhoods maybe, and just find those little hole in the wall restaurants with just a few things on their menu. Um, those are going to be the best places. And usually they don't, they won't speak English with you, you know, like they're, they're not necessarily tourist oriented. They're, um, they're, they're much more for locals. And those are the places where you're going to a save money and B find the best food that's going to be available there. So I'll use the uh, example of a place called Puerto Viejo in Costa Rica. It's a little town on the Car- on the Caribbean coast, and it's pretty touristy. And there is a street that has just tons of restaurants and bars, and they do happy hour, two for one, and you think you're getting a deal, and you're really just not. And um, you know, there's there's tons of people who go in and out of there, and they eat like burgers and stuff, which you should not be eating in Costa Rica. If you look around, there aren't any fat cows there. You know, like. Um, that's another thing you can tell by the menu, whether it's going to be local or, or, um, tourist, uh, targeted, because if, if they offer comfort food, you're in the wrong place. Like you want to get back to where there's, um, a local menu and, you know, just down the street from, 
from it's actually on the same street in this little town Puerto Viejo um the same street as all these fancy tourist restaurants there's a chain link fence and there's like this tiny little cubby of a restaurant with just a couple of tables and the women there are like always watching telenovelas you know like the soap operas in spanish and they have just the simple menu and the food is so good and so cheap and that is exactly what you should look for you know where you see a crowd walk away a crowd of tourists, obviously. Um, when we were recently in Cabo, Cabo is an expensive place. Whoa. And I mean, we had been staying um, up the coast about an hour from Cabo, but we went there for, I think, two nights. And we made the mistake of eating down on the marina one night. And it was just, it was expensive. The food was not good. It was an Italian restaurant. That was probably our first mistake, but it's also like, I can't help myself when I see Italian food. I just love it so much. And so, but it wasn't Italian. It was, it was not very good. Um, it was way overpriced. The only people around us were tourists. I mean, we should have known and we did know, but for summer, I mean, we must have just been hungry and we ate there and it was like a terrible experience. And, you know, on the other hand, we found a couple of restaurants they're literally like three blocks away. But the fact is that they're not on like the main boulevard where everyone's walking and shopping. They are just a couple of blocks back. There was like a huge line of locals at this little place that had a couple of stools. It was like um a, like a taco truck style place. Um, and man, all these locals would just line up there for tacos at like nine in the morning, you know, it's like, it, it's gotta be good if there's that many people there at nine in the morning for tacos, you know? Um, but those are the places that you need to look for is make sure that you see lots of locals where you're going or, um, at least just not a lot of tourists, you know, like get away from the main roads and those places are going to be afford affordable because the locals will be the ones eating there. I think that, I mean, this place that we found in Cabo, it looked like people ate there three meals a day, like at all times of day, the place was just full. Um, there was that taco truck. There were a couple other places right around that same area that were just, they were really cheap and they were just full, like jam packed with locals. It just kind of blew our minds and it was awesome. Like that is exactly where we wanted to be. Um, and the food was really good and we saved money. You know, we ate breakfast for like, Oh, $5. I want to say for both of us, not maybe not even. Um, but I mean in Cabo, when you can spend $20 each, that's, that's cheap, you know? So, um, uh, my, I guess that was another long winded answer, but basically, stay away from tourist trap restaurants where you see lots of tourists go the other way, you know, look for the small hole in the wall places, try the street food, try everything. I mean, the food is the culture, you know, so definitely indulge in the food. You just don't have to do it at the nice places where, you know, a glass of wine is the same price it would be in the States. That's just not what it's about for me at least. So I hope that that helps. <laughs> I definitely encourage you to explore with food wherever you are, because there is some good stuff out there to be tasted. So, all right, I'm going to leave it at those questions for the first, for this first session of ask Jackie, um, travel questions. And remember you, if you have a question, if you were inspired to ask something, you think that 
maybe more people would benefit by the answer. Um, or even if you just have a question for me, you know, for you, I'm happy to, to talk with you and connect with you. So, um, you can connect with me on my blog. Um, just go to the contact page. There's a form there. You can email me that way. And, um, and yeah, I definitely look forward to hearing from you. And on another note, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I know that there are literally people all over the world tuning in, and that is incredible to me. I feel so honored to be here talking with you, you know, in your car or on your run or wherever you are at the moment. It's really, really special to be able to communicate with you in this way. And I really appreciate you for listening um, and for recommending and for reviewing. And on that note, you guys, if you have not given me a review for this podcast yet, I would love for you to do that. It only takes a couple of minutes. And really, as a podcaster, that is my best form of referral. It really helps a podcast to review it. Um, that's what promotes it, you know? And so if, I mean, I would love to partner with you in promoting this podcast. And that is one way that you can help me is to leave me a review in iTunes. I think I'm up to 40 five-star reviews, which is exciting for me. So thank you guys so much. Those of you who have reviewed, you are making me keep, you are the ones encouraging me to keep going. So I so appreciate all of you who are reviewing and um, definitely if you have not reviewed yet, please go and do that. I would really appreciate it. You can um, do that just through your iTunes app, either on your phone um, through the, through the podcast app on your phone or through iTunes on your computer. And if, if you need help, you can go to the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash podcast. And there are instructions there for leaving a review. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. I really appreciate it. So once again, you can find the notes from today's episode at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 13. I'll have the show notes there for you. And I will see you in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.